Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and sitting across the internet from me with eyes as brown as chocolate pudding is Ellen. Damn it. Now I want chocolate pudding. Pudding is good stuff, but we should probably do the episode first. Podcast now, pudding later. Yeah. Okay. Last week, we discussed Chapter 1, Owl Post, and its corresponding film scenes. This year starts off with a trip to the Department of Backstory, unless you're watching the movie, in which case it totally doesn't. Hermione sends Harry a broomstick servicing kit for his birthday, unless you're watching the movie, in which case she totally doesn't. Ron's gift for Harry is a sneakoscope, unless you're watching the movie, in which case it totally isn't. Hagrid gave Harry a homicidal hardback, unless you're watching the movie, in which case he totally didn't. And Harry doesn't use magic outside of school, unless you're watching the movie, in which case, he totally does. During episode 38, Very Harry, Harry Hair, we had two Potter ponderings. The first one was, what do you think about Harry's nighttime practicing of magic in the film? Carly said, bruh, like what? Makes no sense. Even if they don't acknowledge that rule of no magic at home until the fifth movie. But they do mention it at the end of the first film, when Hagrid tells Harry he could threaten Dudley with a pigtail, and Harry reminds him that he's not allowed to do magic outside of school. Plus, as we will discuss in this episode, Vernon flat out tells Harry that he isn't allowed to do magic outside of school when he's trying to leave. So, it's definitely a contradiction, even within the film itself. Yeah, most of our keepers are definitely of the mindset that it wasn't a great addition. Jackson pointed out that it was dumb, because he later tells Fudge he broke the law. Alice is on the same page, saying it annoys her, since there are other occasions where they aren't allowed to use magic outside of school. Quincy and Jen both think it makes no sense, and Kenneth said that it goes against canon to have Harry practicing magic. Which it technically does, since the books are what's considered canon, and Harry does not perform spells under his covers during the holidays in the books. Yeah, but it made for a dynamic opening. Max also thinks that it was a good way of showing a change in the theme for the films, especially since up until then, Harry had only cast three spells in the films. Which in that sense, yes, it was definitely a shift. Just to be contrary, or as he put it, to be a stinker, Dave said, unpopular opinion, but when I read the books and it wasn't in there, I said, that's not how it happened in the movie. Well, I mean, he's not wrong. It wasn't how it happened in the movie. He also just received the That's Not How It Happened in the Movie t-shirt that he ordered off of our website. I'm still partial to saying (laughs) That's Not How It Happened in the book, but I had to make both versions to keep it fair. We just got ours not that long ago, too. Eventually, we will be allowed to be in the same room again and actually get a good picture of us wearing them. In the meantime, don't forget to check them out at JustKeepRolling.com, along with all of our other merch. Yep. And our other Potter pondering was, what is your opinion on Alfonso Cuaron as director? 
Carly is on the same page as us, saying that Alfonso Cuaron is her favorite director. The music, the costumes, Harry's hair being right, the music. (laughs) She also added on that she loves that we talked about Alfonso Cuaron and how he directed A Little Princess. That movie was basically her first intro into the witchy life and a big reason she was a daddy's girl growing up. Prisoner of Azkaban was also such a game changer for the Potter series. It got that darkness that happens in the book and the witchy aesthetic. It's just amazing. His directing style is phenomenal. Emma also said that she loves Alfonso Cuaron. She felt it stepped it up and started to prepare us for the darkness ahead. Jackson said that he thinks he's a great director. Which Jen basically agrees with, but also says that she didn't really care for him directing this. She said that if we have time to watch the Whomping Willow respond to seasonal change, then we have time for plot. Which is a very valid point. Mm -hmm. We will talk more about that throughout each episode as we go through this story. Yeah. We also heard from Quincy, who just can't forgive Alfonso Cuaron for having Harry do magic in the beginning. And Kenneth, who is basically on that same page, bothered that he betrayed canon. And not just canon. It created a contradiction within the actual movie. But like I already said, we will get more into that in this episode. (laughs) For now, thank you all for your responses. Let's move on to the trivia question, which was, what institution does Vernon tell Marge they've sent Harry to? Vernon claims that they sent him to St. Brutus's Secure Center for Incurably Criminal Boys, where he gets the cane used on him often. Oh yeah, I've been beaten loads of times. Mm. Congratulations goes to Dave. He's got a knack for answering first. Maybe he'll be starting a new streak. Yeah, someone's got to try and beat out Quincy's eight-week streak. And then maybe we'll see Quincy back up in here to defend his title. It would definitely be pretty exciting. As usual, thanks for playing along. And let's just keep rolling into Chapter 2, Aunt Marge's Big Mistake, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 2, Aunt Marge's Big Mistake. Harry goes down for breakfast in the morning on his birthday and finds the three Dursleys sitting at the kitchen table, watching the TV that was Dudley's welcome home for the summer present. He sits down between Uncle Vernon and Dudley, receives no birthday wishes, and helps himself to toast, as the newsreader on television reports about an armed and dangerous escaped convict named Black. They show a picture of a gaunt man with matted elbow-length hair, and share that a hotline has been set up for anyone who may spot him. Uncle Vernon is sure that he is no good, based on how he looks, and is upset that they didn't mention where he escaped from. He then finishes his tea and says he better be off soon to pick up Marge, and Harry is appalled to learn that Uncle Vernon's sister is coming for a full week. She doesn't visit often, but her visits are always awful for Harry. Vernon sets some rules for Harry, saying he must keep a civil tongue, no funny stuff, and that they've told her that he attends St. Brutus's Secure Center for Incurably Criminal Boys, and he will be sticking to that story. Harry is outraged, but uses it to his advantage, telling Uncle Vernon about the Hogsmeade permission slip and saying it will be hard work to keep things straight about St. What's-its. Vernon looks alarmed and agrees to sign the form if Harry behaves. Harry heads upstairs to prepare himself to act like a real muggle for the week. He gathers up all his presents and birthday cards and hides them under the loose floorboard with his homework. Sadly, he asks Hedwig to go with the now-recovered Errol and stay with Ron for the week and writes him a note explaining. 
Before Harry can spend too much time brooding, Aunt Petunia is screaming for him to come get ready to welcome their guest and do something about his hair. Harry doesn't bother since Aunt Marge loves to criticize him. They hear Uncle Vernon's car arrive and Petunia orders Harry to get the door, which he does, to reveal a large, beefy, and purple-faced woman with a suitcase in one hand and an ill-tempered bulldog tucked under the other. Aunt Marge immediately calls for her nephew Pooh, Dudders, and Dudley waddles down the hall to welcome his aunt and receive the 20-pound note that was the only reason he put up with her hugs. Marge greets Petunia and accepts some tea from Vernon. They all troop into the kitchen, leaving Harry to deal with her suitcase. He takes as long as he can lugging it up the stairs, and when he returns to the kitchen, Marge has tea and fruit cake, and Ripper is messily lapping tea out of a saucer. Vernon asks who's watching the other dogs, and Marge explains that she has Colonel Fubster managing them, but she can't leave Ripper. Harry sits down and Ripper begins to growl at him, drawing Marge's attention to him for the first time. She says, so, still here, are you? And Harry gives a very lackluster response, prompting her to lecture him for being ungrateful and say that he would have gone straight to an orphanage if he'd been left on her doorstep. Harry really wants to tell her that he'd rather live in an orphanage than with the Dursleys, but thinks of Hogsmeade and forces a smile instead. Marge sees this as him smirking and expresses her regret that his school hasn't seemed to knock any manners into him. She asks Vernon where it was that they were sending him, and Vernon tells her that it is called St. Brutus's. She wonders if they use the cane there, and Vernon gives a nod behind her, so Harry says yes, all the time. And when she wonders if he's been beaten, he responds, loads of times. Marge thinks he can talk far too casually about being beaten, and tells Petunia she should write and tell them they approve of extreme force in his case. Vernon quickly changes the subject to the escaped prisoner before Harry can forget their bargain. The week drags on, making Harry longingly wish for life at number four without her. Vernon and Petunia encourage him to stay out of the way, but Marge insists that Harry is around at all times so she can make loud suggestions for his improvement. She takes pleasure in playing favorites with Dudley and makes dark comments about why Harry turned out so badly. Harry tries to focus on Hogsmeade and ignore her, but as Marge reaches for a glass of wine, she says, You see it all the time with dogs. If there's something wrong with the bitch, there'll be something wrong with the pup. And the wine glass explodes in her hand. She insists that it's happened before because she has a very firm grip, but Harry's aunt and uncle are both looking very suspiciously at him, so he skips pudding to get away and calm down. Being an underage wizard, he isn't allowed to do magic outside of school and already doesn't have a clean record since he got an official warning last summer. He makes it through the next three days by forcing himself to think about his handbook of do-it-yourself broom care whenever Aunt Marge starts in on him. It works pretty well, but gives him a glazed overlook that makes her think he has mental issues. But finally, the last night of her visit arrives, and Petunia cooks a fancy send-off meal that they make nearly all the way through without any mention of Harry's faults. But then, Uncle Vernon brings out the brandy and offers some to Marge, who had already had a lot of wine. She accepts a small one, and then a bit more, and a bit more, before complimenting Petunia on her cooking and burping. She calls Dudley, who is eating his fourth slice of pie, a healthy-sized boy, saying he'll be a proper-sized man, like his father, and accepts more brandy before turning the conversation towards Harry. She says he has a mean, runty look, like a dog she had Colonel Fubster drown last week. 
and it all comes down to blood. Harry desperately tries to think about his handbook to tune her out, but Marge goes on to tell Petunia that it's nothing against her family, but her sister was a bad egg who ran off with a wastrel, and Harry is the result. She refers to Harry's father as this Potter and asks what it was he did. Vernon claims that he didn't work, and Marge says it was as she expected and calls him a no-account, good-for-nothing, lazy scrounger, and completely sets Harry off who forgets all about the handbook and bursts out that he wasn't. Vernon loudly offers more brandy and tries to send Harry to bed, but Marge insists that he goes on, asking if he was proud of his parents who died in a car crash, drunk she expects. Harry again cuts her off, this time yelling that they didn't die in a car crash. Marge calls him a nasty little liar and a burden on his relatives, swelling with rage. She says he is insolent and ungrateful and stops, because she's literally swelling. Her face expands, several buttons pop off of her tweed jacket, and her whole body swells up like a balloon. She begins to drift up in the air, and Ripper starts barking like mad. Vernon grabs her foot and tries to pull her down, but is almost lifted off the floor himself. Ripper sinks his teeth into Vernon's leg, and Harry takes this opportunity to bolt from the dining room. He heads to the cupboard under the stairs, which magically bursts open. Grabbing his trunk, he leaves it by the front door and runs upstairs to get everything from under the floorboards and Hedwig's cage. He gets back downstairs as Vernon begins to bellow at him to come back and put her right. Harry kicks open his trunk, pulls out his wand, and points it at Uncle Vernon. He says that she deserved it and to keep away from him. He's had enough and he's going. Harry fumbles for the door and heaves his trunk and Hedwig's cage out to the dark, quiet street. The movie starts out on a J-cut over black with a doorbell ringing and Aunt Petunia snapping at Harry to open the door. The scene begins with Harry opening the door, revealing Uncle Vernon's sister, Aunt Marge, and her dog Ripper, followed by Vernon himself. Marge and Ripper go to greet Aunt Petunia and Uncle Vernon remains in the foyer to remove his jacket. Harry takes this opportunity to ask him about signing a form for school. Uncle Vernon tells him maybe later if he behaves, and Harry says that he will if she does, as they both walk into the dining room. Aunt Marge notices Harry and says, You're still here, are you? Harry responds with a very sullen yes, and Aunt Marge criticizes his tone and adds that it was good of his uncle to keep him. She would have sent him straight to an orphanage. She is then distracted by Dudley's laughter and shrieks and gushes over her nephew as he continues to watch TV. Marge encourages her dog to jump up on the couch as Petunia fawns over her son. Vernon makes Harry take the suitcases upstairs, which he does, without arguing. The scene transitions to the family finishing dinner. Marge puts her plate on the floor for Ripper to lick clean as Harry clears the dishes. Dudley continues to watch TV and Vernon offers his sister some brandy. She accepts a little, compliments Petunia's cooking, and snaps her fingers at Harry to pick up the plate from the floor. Vernon pours Marge some brandy, then a bit more, as she explains to Petunia that it's usually just a fry-up for her with twelve dogs. She takes a sip of the brandy, then offers the glass to her dog. Harry watches as Ripper laps out of Marge's brandy glass, until she glances up at him, wondering what he's looking at. Harry shrugs and goes back to cleaning up the food. Marge wants to know where it is that they sent Harry. Vernon informs her that it's an institution for hopeless cases, called St. Brutus's. She turns to Harry and asks if they use the cane there, and following a look from Uncle Vernon, Harry says that, yeah, he's been beaten loads of times. 
Marge expresses that she thinks people who deserve it should be beaten, and tells the Dursleys that they mustn't blame themselves for how he turned out, since it has to do with bad blood. She goes on to ask what Harry's father did, and Petunia says that he was unemployed. Marge then assumes that he was also a drunk, no doubt, causing Harry to get angry and shout that his dad wasn't a drunk. The glass in Marge's hand shatters, startling everyone except Marge, who insists she has a very firm grip. Vernon tries to send Harry up to bed, but Marge insists he stay to clean up the glass, then goes on to blame it on Harry's mother instead, comparing it to dogs and saying, If there's something wrong with the bitch, then there's something wrong with the pup. Harry completely loses it at this point and screams for her to shut up. The lights start to flicker and the house starts to rattle and Aunt Marge puts up a finger and gears up to tell Harry off. Before she can say much, her fingertip starts to swell, then the rest of her. Dudley is finally distracted from his television as she blows up like a balloon and floats up into the air, beads scattering from her bursting necklace and buttons popping off her blouse and smacking him in the face. Marge screams for Vernon to do something, but he is distracted by Ripper, who sinks his teeth into Vernon's leg. She floats up to the ceiling and bounces out the French doors, through the sunroom, and into the yard. Vernon runs after her, with Ripper still attached to his leg, and grabs her by the hands. He is also lifted off the ground, and lets go before he gets up too high. He falls to the ground and Petunia shuffles up to him. The two of them watch Marge drift off into the night as Dudley returns to watching TV and eating his dessert off his bibbed napkin. Vernon continues to scream for his sister as Harry runs upstairs to his room, upset at what happened. He looks at the framed picture of his parents and the camera zooms in on them, dancing and happy. The scene cuts to Harry dragging his trunk down the stairs and being intercepted by Vernon, who screams at him to bring her back and put her right. Harry refuses, saying that she deserved what she got. Vernon charges at him, but Harry pulls out his wand and tells him to keep away. He backs off, but also reminds Harry that he isn't allowed to do magic outside of school. Harry says, try me, and Vernon continues to back away while stating that they won't let him back now, and he has nowhere to go. But Harry doesn't care, because anywhere is better than there. Harry walks out of the house and wheels his trunk down the street, with Aunt Marge screaming off in the distant sky. So in this section, we had a much easier time lining things up, as the film stayed pretty close to the book here. Yeah. As usual, there was definitely some streamlining and an uptick in drama, but now that we are three stories in, that really shouldn't be in the least bit shocking. Not even a little bit. Uh -uh. The book chapter starts out on the morning of Harry's birthday, which is, of course, completely ignored by the Dursleys. He heads downstairs to breakfast, where the satchels of assholes are already eating and watching TV on Dudley's welcome home for the summer present since the walk from the main TV to the kitchen was just too far. The movie scene picks up well after this point, so that part isn't actually included, though there is a TV and a whole bit around it that basically makes reference to this part of the chapter. Yep, but they're watching a news report about an escaped convict named Black, and this is such a subtle bit of foreshadowing. I love it. Black will be mentioned eventually, so we will be talking more about it, but it doesn't happen in this section of the movie. Which I think is kind of a shame. But like you said, we'll talk more about it when we get to that part in the film. In this part of the chapter, once Vernon gets over the fact that the news didn't tell them where the convict escaped from, he finishes his tea and to Harry's absolute horror, says he better be off to get Aunt Marge. We are now getting closer to where the movie scene starts, since it starts right with her arrival. 
Yeah, but the book takes us on a little trip to the Department of Backstory before she arrives, and we learn a little bit about the Tweed bitch's background. She's Uncle Vernon's sister, and despite the fact that Harry is not actually directly related to her, he's forced to call her Aunt Marge. She lives in the country, and thankfully she doesn't visit often since she has 12 dogs she doesn't like to leave. But every time she does show up, it's pretty horrible for Harry. I mean, if the current visit is any indication, then I would say so. Right? At Dudley's fifth birthday, Tweed Bitch hit Harry in the shins with her walking stick so Dudley would win at musical statues. And if Dudley was just turning five and is a month older than Harry, she legitimately just hit a four-year-old. Which is awful. Mm Mm-hmm. Then, a few years later, she showed up for Christmas with a toy robot for Dudley and a box of dog biscuits for Harry. Hashtag why bother? Though, honestly, I know this isn't what is meant by the gift, but considering how much she loves her dogs, it seems almost nice in a really, really, really weird way that she was willing to give those dog biscuits to Harry when she could have given them to her dogs. Really weird way is a hell of an understatement. Hmm. I don't know that I would call it nice. Maybe they were gross biscuits the dogs refused to eat? I don't know. I'm having some sympathy for the devil over here. Like, Harry could have used those biscuits to distract Ripper from messing with him. It subconsciously could have been the nice thing. Maybe. Kinda. Sorta. I don't know. We also learned that on her last visit, the year before Harry went to Hogwarts, he accidentally stepped on Ripper's paw and got chased up a tree. Tweed Bitch refused to call him off until well past midnight. Okay, I mean, she's still a horrible person, obviously. It probably wasn't nice at all, but it still seems like a strange choice for a shitty gift from her. I want to know what our keepers think about it. Okay, we can make it a Potter Pondering. Personally, I don't blame Harry for feeling like her visit is the worst birthday present ever. Definitely seems worse than dog bones. Yeah, but Uncle Vernon tells Harry that Marge will be there for a week and says that he will keep a civil tongue when talking to her. Harry says, all right, if she does when she's talking to me. Sassy Harry! Sassy Harry. (laughs) Vernon also says that she doesn't know anything about his abnormality and he will behave himself earning a little more sass as Harry says, I will if she does, through gritted teeth. This also gets referenced in the film, but it's after Marge arrives. And then Vernon adds on that Marge thinks Harry attends St. Brutus's Secure Center for Incurably Criminal Boys, and he will be sticking to that story. Which was our trivia question, and also gets referenced in the movie. Yep. Harry is completely furious, but it also gives him an idea And this is one of my favorite parts of this chapter. I seriously wish they had put it in the movie because Vernon is about to go pick up Marge and asks if Dudley wants to go with him. Backpack of assholes is too busy, still watching TV, and says no. But Harry follows Vernon to the front door. Bag of assholes says, I'm not taking you. And sassy Harry says, like I wanted to come. (laughs) He then mentions needing the permission slip to visit the village signed, earning a sneer from Bag of Assholes, who basically says he has no reason to sign it. Until Harry full-on blackmails him, saying it will be hard work pretending like he goes to St. What's-its. Yeah, a similar conversation happens in the movie, again, after Marge has already arrived, but it is tame compared to this. Extremely tame. 
again, one of the few times that the book is a little more dramatic than the film, because Vernon panics and yells out, St. Brutus is the cure center for incurably criminal boys. <laughs> and Harry's just like, yeah, they are. And calmly says, exactly. It's a lot to remember. I'll have to make it sound convincing, won't I? What if I accidentally let something slip? Accidentally, with air quotes, masterfully done, Harry. <laughs> mm-hmm. And of course, Bag of Assholes threatens him with violence. But Harry just points out that knocking the stuffing out of him won't make Aunt Marge forget what he said. And if he signs the permission form, he won't forget where he's supposed to go to school and he'll act normal and everything. Vernon agrees that if Harry keeps to the story, he will sign the form and then heads off to get his sister. Harry gathers up all his stuff to hide and has Hedwig go back with Errol to stay with Ron so he can truly live like a muggle. Then the handbag of assholes is yelling at him to come get ready for their guest and to fix his hair. His very hairy, hairy hair. <laughs> Though with all that hairspray, I'm pretty sure it's staying messy. This is finally where the movie comes in, starting on a doorbell ringing and Aunt Petunia snapping at Harry to open the door. As I mentioned, the movie scene starts right on Aunt Marge, the Tweed bitch's arrival. Which is similar to the book, since they hear Vernon's car pull into the driveway, and Petunia tells Harry to open the door. Yeah, this is pretty much the same. Harry opens the door, and there is Marge, her bulldog Ripper, and Vernon. But the film streamlines the week she is supposed to be staying into basically just a couple of scenes, so it is a bit different from there. Yeah, the book has Aunt Marge immediately call for her nephew-poo, who waddles up and accepts a hug from her, since it also comes with a 20-pound note. In the movie, Marge and Ripper immediately go to greet Petunia in the other room, while Vernon stays behind in the hall to remove his jacket. This is when Harry asks him about signing the permission slip for school, and all Vernon says is maybe later if Harry behaves. We get a little sass from Harry when he says, I will if she does, like in the book, but that was it. I really wish they had given just a little bit of the blackmailing and a little more of the sass aspects. The sass if you will, from the book. <laughs> Even my husband said that the conversation seemed too benign between the two of them. The book definitely had this part better, but at least it was established that there was a permission slip that won't get signed. Though honestly, if Harry was smart, he would have just told Vernon that the form he needed to sign for school kept him at Hogwarts for Christmas or some shit. This is why Harry is not in Ravenclaw. Harry is definitely not a Ravenclaw. Though, the form had to remain unsigned for the sake of the plot. True. But as this is going on, Marge and Ripper are in the other room, and based on her facial expression, I don't know who Aunt Petunia hates more, Harry or the dog. The book does specifically state that Aunt Petunia hates animals. While Harry is taking Marge's suitcase upstairs, they get her some tea and she lets Ripper lap some out of her saucer. He does so quite messily, getting tea and drool all over Petunia's clean floor. Ugh. Yeah, that's not how it happened in the movie. But it does give us a clear impression of how Petunia feels about dogs. The scene then goes straight from the conversation about the form to Tweed Bitch seeing Harry and saying, You're still here, are you? This is actually straight from the book, though it's after Harry has to take her suitcase upstairs. He takes as much time as he can to avoid being in Tweed Bitch's presence for as long as possible. But eventually he has to go back downstairs and join them, and that's when she says, So, still here, are you? In both, 
Harry responds with a pretty sullen, yes, prompting Marge to say she would have dumped him in an orphanage if he was left on her doorstep. But in the movie, she is then distracted by Dudley, who laughs at something he is watching on television. She leans over the back of the couch to hug him and gives a similar kind of gush that was described in the book. But there was no money given that we see. Dudley actually doesn't even react to his aunt. He just keeps watching TV and eating. Which does tie into the fact that Dudley got the TV as a welcome home gift. Mm-hmm. Tweed Bitch then encourages Ripper to jump up on the couch. And it's really fucking rude of her to just let the dog do that without even asking. Like, shit, if that was my sister, I'd be pissed. But it definitely gave us a good impression of the kind of relationship Tweed Bitch has with her dog. There is that. Also in the movie, this is when Vernon makes Harry take the suitcase upstairs. So there was some streamlining and minor changes, but for the most part, this part of the chapter and the film scene kept the essence of the first Tweed Bitch encounter. I agree, because this part of the book didn't have Marge distracted by Dudley, and she went right on to wonder what Harry was smirking at after she made the orphanage comment. Harry really wanted to tell her that he'd rather live in an orphanage than with the satchels of assholes, but he remembers the Hogsmeade form and forces a smile on his face instead. Marge comments that she was hoping the school they sent him to would have knocked some manners into him and asks Vernon where it was they sent him. A very similar exchange actually happens in the next part of this scene, so again, it's mostly just a case of streamlining the essence of the chapter. Because in both, Vernon says St. Brutus's, and Marge wants to know if they used the cane there. And in both, Vernon gives Harry a look and a curt nod that prompts Harry to say they do, and he's been beaten loads of times. <laughs> Harry's little, I've been beaten loads of times line has got to be one of my favorite things, because it's one of our first real introductions of sassy Harry. He is definitely starting to grow into his sassy pants, and the mmm that Daniel yeah. Radcliffe added to the end of it just really clinched the sass for me there. Oh, for sure. <laughs> In the book, Tweed Bitch comments on his tone, saying that he's talking too casually about his beatings. She tells Petunia that she should write to the school and make it clear they approve of extreme force in his case. In the movie, she goes on to the next horrible thing that she has to say about Harry, but this is in a slightly different order from the book, since it combines the whole week into the two scenes. Yeah, the book has Vernon change the subject, then give a bit of a sum up of the awful things that Harry has to endure throughout the week, which included lots of comparing Harry to Dudley, her pleasure in buying Dudley presents but not Harry, and dark hints about why Harry was such an unsatisfactory person. She says he's rotten inside. Harry tries to ignore her, focusing on his food and thinking about Hogsmeade, but when Tweed Bitch calls it one of the basic rules of breeding, saying if there's something wrong with the bitch, there'll be something wrong with the pup, her wine glass explodes. Both this line and the exploding glass happens in the movie, but not exactly like this. The movie transitions straight from Harry taking the suitcase upstairs to a family dinner, where the bulk of this chapter fits into. Yeah, it streamlines the worst things into one dinner, instead of having them occur over the whole week, and cuts out some extra details, like any mention of Colonel Fubster watching her other 11 dogs, as well as a quick trip down memory lane after Harry explodes the glass and is upset with himself for losing control like that because he isn't allowed to do magic outside of school. Imagine that. <laughs> isn't allowed to do magic outside of school. <laughs> What are you trying to say there, Ellen? That he isn't allowed to do magic outside of school. 
but he can't afford to let something like that happen again because he's already gotten one official warning from the ministry, which also wasn't really his fault. Mm -hmm. But that's another story. Literally. It also cut out the fact that he got through the next three days by forcing himself to think about the handbook of do-it-yourself broom care as a way to tune out Tweed Bitch. Which they couldn't show in the film at all since we never even saw him receive it. Right. Mm -hmm. But then it finally gets to the last night of her stay, and this is the big fancy dinner that the film shows. The book says that they basically make it through the entire meal without any mention of Harry's faults, but then... Vernon gets out the brandy. The movie implies this to be the case as well, since the scene starts in as they're finishing up. Harry is clearing the table and Vernon is offering Marge the brandy. One minor difference here is that the book doesn't have Harry clearing the dishes. He just wants to escape up to his room, but Vernon gives him a look that makes it clear he has to stick it out. In both, Marge says she'll take a small brandy, then requests a bit more and a bit more. (laughs) She also compliments Petunia's cooking in both, stating that it's usually just a fry-up for her with 12 dogs. She takes a sip of her brandy and then offers it to her dog. I'm not gonna lie, I'm super grossed out that Marge just lets Ripper drink from her glass. Like, oh, I can't, yeah, I just can't. Yeah, it's just another one of those touches that shows her relationship with her dog. (laughs) But she doesn't do that in the book. She just gives a good burp. Then tells Dudley he's a healthy-sized boy that will be a proper-sized man like his father, before requesting more brandy. The book also makes it clear that she has already had quite a bit of wine, too. In the movie, Tweed Bitch notices Harry is watching Ripper drinking out of her glass and wants to know what he's smirking at. And this is where that conversation from the chapter about St. Brutus's fits in the film. It's very similar, even has her saying, I won't have this namby-pamby, wishy-washy nonsense of not beating people who deserve it. Which is nearly word for word from the book, though not during dinner. Right. But then in the movie, she goes on to say that Vernon mustn't blame himself for how this one turned out, because it's all to do with blood. She says, bad blood will out, then asks what his father did. This is a pretty neat shot, too. Harry is standing closest to the camera in the kitchen with his back to the satchels of assholes and tweed bitch as she runs her mouth. He's got a bit of a dreamy look on his face, and I think it gives the impression that he is thinking about something to try and tune her out, like the book said he was doing with the handbook. It also gives us a good view of the changing expression on Harry's face, because he does start out with a a little smile, and then the more tweed bitch talks, the harder his face falls. And this conversation does happen at this point in the book, too. Though the movie cuts out the part where she tells Petunia that it's nothing against her family, but her sister was a bad egg who ran off with a wastrel, resulting in Harry. Then she asks what it was that this Potter did, and Vernon says he was unemployed. In the movie, she specifically asked Petunia, so she was the one who answered and said that he was unemployed which Tweed Bitch immediately follows up by assuming he was a drunk too, prompting Harry to fully snap out of his attempt at drowning out her bullshit and say, that's a lie. She's shocked he's talking back and says, what did you say? Harry turns around, very forcefully informs her that his dad wasn't a drunk, and this is where the movie includes the glass shattering in her hand. Despite the change here, and when the glass broke... And what was specifically said to upset him to the point that his emotions got carried away, 
I think this streamline of events played out really well for this section. Me too. It also gave a nice build-up to the Tweed Bitch's grand finale. Which we are getting to. Mm -hmm. Since there's no exploding glass at this point of the chapter, it is a little different here. Tweed Bitch hears that Harry's dad was unemployed and calls him a no-account, good-for-nothing, lazy scrounger, and is cut off by Harry saying, He was not. Vernon loudly offers more brandy and tries to send Harry to bed, but Tweed Bitch insists that he stays and tells him to go on, shaming him for being proud of his parents who got themselves killed in a car accident. And here, she tacks on a little comment saying, Drunk I expect. So the movie didn't pull that from nowhere. But it wasn't that little add-on that really upset Harry. It was the fact that she said they died in a car crash. She doesn't even bring the car crash up in the movie. Yeah. Well, in the book, that is the thing that really sets him off. The straw that broke the camel's back, if you will. He jumps to his feet and yells that they didn't die in a car crash. Tweed Bitch screams back that he's a nasty little liar and that they died in a car crash, leaving him to be a burden on his decent, hardworking relatives. She is described as swelling with fury. The movie sets this up a bit differently. After the glass shatters, she snaps her fingers at Harry and tells him to clean it up. Then she continues her tipsy diatribe and blames it on his mother instead. So this is where the movie includes the line, If there's something wrong with the bitch, then there's something wrong with the pup. This leads to Harry slamming down the glass and screaming at her to shut up. I'm glad they worked that line in, even if it isn't exactly how they used it in the book. It's a pretty awful thing to say, so I think it works perfectly well to use this as the moment where Harry has just had it with her bullshit. I remember being weirdly surprised that they actually said, if there's something wrong with the bitch, then there's something wrong with the pup. Because even though it's a technical term, it is still really weird to hear it in a quote-unquote kids movie. I actually feel completely different about it now, too, because we had a virtual patron hangout last weekend with our Order of Merlin first class through fourth class patrons, and our resident Brit, Max, taught us that when they're using it around people they know, cunt is usually meant in an endearing but honest way. Like, he might be a cunt, but he's our cunt. When bitch can really depend on how you say it and who you're talking about. Which I found to be really interesting since in the US, bitch can be the more endearing one and we just don't really say cunt. Yeah, I don't have an issue with the word cunt personally, but it is generally perceived as a no-no word in the US. But I kind of like the word, if I'm being honest. Like, there's something about the way it rolls off the tongue that just makes me feel better. I actually agree, which is why I found it interesting that Max said it's not really that bad of a word there, and bitch is. Yeah, I mean, I knew that they didn't really use the word that much, but it never really occurred to me that it was because it was offensive, considering how often they use cunt and how taboo that word is considered here. Max also said that it's worth noting that Marge and Vernon seem to be the same as that sort of 60s generation that are very un-PC with their language. Mm. He said his mum would also say bitch to describe a dog and pretend that it wasn't offensive at all. Well, like I said, I mean, it is a technical term, but it was also very clear that Tweed Bitch was intending to offend. Oh, for sure. But regardless of the inciting incident in both the book and the movie, she starts swelling. In the book, it starts out as a figurative swelling, as they described her to be swelling with fury, 
But then she begins to literally swell. And swell. And swell. In the movie, I wouldn't say that she was figuratively swelling. She came across more arrogantly pleased that she had an opportunity to put Harry in his place. She raises her finger to begin what was probably going to be quite the tirade, and we see it start to literally swell. And swell. And swell. And swell. (laughs) Harry loses complete control of his emotions here. But seriously, if Marge would have been talking shit about my parents, like calling my dad a drunk and all that, I'd have blown her ass up too. I agree. Even in the book when he reacts because of the car crash comment, I can totally see how that would trigger him. Imagine being told for 10 years that your parents died in a car crash, to then find out your only remaining family was lying to you about it, as well as various other things, such as being a wizard. Imagine then going on and finding a place in your new life, which is, in a lot of ways, so much better, but is also full of some horrors, of which you actually have only discovered the tip of the iceberg. Imagine coming to terms with learning your parents were murdered by a dark wizard who was trying to murder you, and who has since tried to murder you. And then, this crazy tweed bitch comes in, and after torturing you for a week, brings back the car crash lie, that not only reminds you just how big the lie was, and how shitty your only family is, but also disparages the parents who sacrificed themselves to save you. And that's on top of all of the other shitty comments that she made. Straw, camel, broken. Wow. Shit, that's one way to put it. I'm just saying. Not arguing. But regardless of what causes her to blow up, the movie does a phenomenal job bringing it to life. I love the way they did the blowing up Aunt Marge scene. It was so hilarious to see. Like, the music was just perfect. And the reactions as Aunt Marge just fucking Violet Beauregards all over the place. They were amazing. It obviously dramatizes things a little bit. Or a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. But again, as we're three stories in, that's nothing new to see. Not at all. However, in the book, she just swells and floats up to the ceiling. Some buttons pop off of her jacket. Vernon grabs her foot and nearly gets lifted off the floor himself. Ripper sinks his teeth into Vernon's leg. And Harry uses this opportunity to run out of the dining room. Which was a fantastic scene to read, but... As usual, not nearly dramatic enough for the movie. In addition to those details, the lights begin flickering and the house is rattling in reaction to Harry's power. He even gets his own dramatic wind effect, which proves that his very hairy hairy hair isn't quite as hairsprayed as it seemed. Right? Then, like in the book, Aunt Marge swells and floats, yes. Her necklace bursts, scattering beads everywhere. A couple of buttons pop off her blouse and smack Dudley right in the face, one after another. Vernon grabs her hands and she starts to float right out the open French doors and into the backyard. Ripper sinks his teeth into Vernon's leg and they are both lifted off the ground by the tweed bitch balloon. (laughs) Just a little more dramatic. Just a bit. Then she gives the snarl of a, don't you dare, and Uncle Vernon's little look to Aunt Marge when he lets go and says sorry is just funny as hell. All of their reactions throughout this are amazing. It goes right along with what I was saying about the Dursleys being caricatures rather than real people. Like when Dudley takes the button to the forehead and performs a very slapsticky fall off his chair. It's also the first moment in the entire section of the film that he actually stops watching TV because they even have him watching it in the dining room as he eats. Which totally plays right into the whole TV bit. Then Marge pulls the tablecloth and all of the dishes off the table, and Dudley gets back up just in time to take another button to the head. Oh yeah, it's very slapstick. And hilarious. 
And the entire time a cuckoo clock is going off in the background. There's definitely a lot more going on in the film than the book for this scene. Oh, for sure. Marge is screaming, Ripper's growling, Vernon is wailing. Technically, Marge is kind of wailing, too. Wailing. (laughs) Yeah. You know, despite being a blimp, she's not having a very good year. (laughs) (laughs) We could call her the Michelin (laughs) ma'am. Oh, I sucked you into the puns during this one. We shouldn't record this late at night. We really shouldn't. <laughs> Any hoodles. Right after Vernon's hilarious sorry as he lets go of her and drops to the ground flat on his face, Petunia shuffles over to him and we get a great aerial shot of Petunia standing by Vernon's side as he is on his knees, reaching to the sky and bellowing, Marge! As Tweed Bitch drifts off into the night. Which definitely... Isn't how it happened in the book. (laughs) Then there's the little bit where Dudley goes right back to watching TV and eats what's left of his dessert right off his napkin bib. Which is, again, a really fun way to reference the welcome home present he got. So he didn't have to walk so far from the TV to the kitchen to get more food. Yeah. Everything that happened also provided ample distraction so Harry could run up the stairs to his room. He looks at a framed photo of his parents, and the camera focuses on them, dancing and happy. The scene then cuts to Harry dragging his trunk down the stairs. In the book, he first ran for the cupboard under the stairs, since that's where the majority of his belongings were locked up. It magically bursts open as he nears it, and he grabs his trunk, leaving it by the door, then running upstairs to get the rest of his school stuff, his birthday presents, and Hedwig's cage. When he gets back downstairs... Vernon is bellowing at him to come back and put her right. In the movie, Vernon intercepts Harry at the bottom of the stairs, yelling at him to bring her back and put her right. Harry says no, she deserved what she got, and Bag of Assholes lunges at him. Harry pulls his wand out and tells him to keep away. Which is fairly similar to the book, except that Harry just grabs his wand from his trunk and points it at Vernon, saying that she deserved it and to keep away from him, but also saying he's had enough and he's going. The chapter ends on Harry fumbling for the door and heading out into the night with his trunk and Hedwig's cage. The movie, of course, needs to make Harry's exit a bit more dramatic, too, and add a bit more of an argument between Vernon and Harry. Once Harry pulls his wand on him, Uncle Vernon reminds him that he isn't allowed to use magic outside of school. Wait, what? Harry isn't allowed to use magic outside of school? (laughs) Is that like a rule or something? It seems strange they'd include that line when just about seven minutes earlier in the film, Harry was doing magic outside of school. This is movie rules, Ellen. Movie rules are different. They have no hold on canon rules. Silly Ellen. Mm Mm-hmm. But by this point, Harry is just done. Vernon says he can't do magic and Harry just sasses back, Oh yeah? Try me. Vernon backs away but continues to taunt him, saying they won't take him back now and he has nowhere to go. Harry still doesn't have any fucks left and says he doesn't care because anywhere's better than there. He's like, fuck this popsicle stand, I am out. It's like that scene with Chris Evans in Knives Out. Oh, yeah. (laughs) As a matter of fact, eat shit. Eat shit. Eat shit. Definitely eat shit. Eat shit. You can all eat shit. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly like that. Great movie. I love that movie. Right? But then Harry walks out of the house and down the street with Aunt Marge screaming off in the distance. 
Ah, that teenage rage that leads you to do incredibly stupid things like leave the house without any money or a place to stay. The book did mention that he had some wizarding money in his trunk, but that doesn't exactly help him much in the muggle world. And to be fair, it would have been really awkward if Harry would have stayed there. Like, what would the conversations have been like? So, I know I blew up your sister, but hey, sign the permission form now, thanks. Or maybe, so, Aunt Marge back yet? No? I'm sure she'll land sometime. (laughs) Or maybe he would just taunt Vernon, saying things like, You know, I'm feeling a little bloated today, how about you? (laughs) Or, just more blackmail. So, sign my form and I'll bring her back. (laughs) I mean, it really, it's a moot point since he fucked that popsicle stand. Yep. But now we've reached the end of the book chapter and the film section, and we have some returning actors to talk about, plus a new one. Yeah. In this scene, we have the return of Fiona Shaw as Petunia Dursley. And she is, once again, just the epitome of a handbag of assholes. Like, she is. It's so well done. I love it. Like I keep saying now, talking about the Dursleys, they're caricatures. Mm-hmm. It, the whole thing was very slapsticky. Like, the way that she reacts when Ripper first tries to jump up on her, and the look on her face that you can just see in profile when Marge is letting Ripper drink out of her yeah. glass. Like, she didn't have a ton of lines. Yeah, it wasn't a big part in this particular no. movie. But her face said so much. Yeah. And, like, I giggle every time I see her do her little shuffle run in heels <laughs> over the grass out to Vernon. I don't know why it's so funny, but it's the funniest run I have ever seen. And I feel like that was her deliberate. still trying to be proper. And she, but right. She can't. It's deliberate. It was a deliberate. Nobody runs like that for real. Yeah. It was a deliberate choice to both look funny and be her character. Yeah. She nailed it. Yeah. As always, well done. Yet again, Fiona Shaw, well done. Then we also have Harry Melling as Dudley Dursley. This little shit. (laughs) Did he even have any lines? No. No, he literally just watched TV and ate the whole time. Yeah, which, I mean, that's, for the most part, it's pretty much all Dudley did in the chapter, too, in the book. Yeah, it really was. Little couch potato kid sitting there. But his his whole slapsticky fall off the chair, yeah, and to like get up just in time to get knocked back, it was a button, yeah, it was a button. It did not knock you that hard, <laughs> but it was still hilarious, and he played it really well, especially for being so young still. Yeah, it was a really impressive performance of physical comedy on his part. Right. Yeah. Right. I agree. It's very good. Yeah. And again, total backpack of assholes because. It's shitty to ignore your aunt who's saying hi to you and you just sit there and eat and keep watching TV. Yeah, it's shitty when your dad has just watched his sister float away into the night and you're just and standing you're just like, there mm. eating cake eating off of Eating pie your off of your bib. shirt, essentially. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I mean, according to the book, that was his fourth piece, too. So. Well, there you go. No surprise there. No, he, he didn't have a ton to do, but what he did was very entertaining. Mm-hmm. And I felt like it was very Dudley Dursley. I agree. I agree. And our new actor in this scene was Pam Ferris, who played Marge Dursley. And I gotta say, it took me 
forever. It's an embarrassing amount of time to realize that Aunt Marge was Miss Trunchbull from Matilda. Despite the fact that they're both damn near the same character, really. Yeah, she, Pam Ferris is really fucking good mm-hmm. at nasty. Yeah. And, like, comical nasty. Mm-hmm. Because, again, like, you're right, Trunchbull was another one of those caricatures. Yeah. Who is just so insanely mean that you're just... Right. Unbelievably mean. Yeah. But it's such a great role mm-hmm. when you need a character to just make you hate them. Yeah. She really, she nailed it. Yeah, there was not a moment watching her that I actually felt sympathy for that devil. Now, maybe yeah. reading about her and dog bones, well, oh, maybe okay. that may have elicited some strange, bizarre sympathy. But watching her did not have that. Yeah. I don't have actual sympathy for her book or movie, but... It was just, you're, I see what you're saying, though. It was just a strange choice for a It gift. was just an odd... You know, the Dursleys gave him, like, toothpicks and, like, old socks and stuff. Like, why would she give him dog bones? That seems oddly useful. I don't know. That's just weird. But that's why we made it our Potter Pondering, which we'll bring up right now. Let's move on to the Potter Pondering and specifically say that we want to know what you think about just how awful was Aunt Marge's gift of dog bones to Harry. Was it subconsciously kind of nice, since she could have given them to her beloved dogs instead? Or... Is she just a huge tweed bitch? And we are digging way too deep into this because we did not have a lot of ponderings otherwise. (laughs) Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. We look forward to reading them. I feel like some of you guys are super creative and are going to have some interesting takes on this. Yes. (laughs) But this will bring us to our sorting hat story, which is from Eric O'Brien. He says, I'm a Ravenclaw. I started out as a Gryffindor because they were the cool kids in the series, but as I grew older, I realized just how much my A-type personality is just a non-negotiable Ravenclaw. (laughs) And then, Pottermore confirmed it, so Ravenclaw it is. My wand is a 10-inch hazel wood with a phoenix feather core with unbending flexibility. My Patronus is a Mastiff. I got into Harry Potter back when I was younger. My cousins and I would watch the movies when they first came out, and over time, I finally got into the books. With Deathly Hallows, I stayed up all night to finish it. The last half of the book is the definition of a page-turner that you can't put down. Deathly Hallows is my favorite, followed by Order of the Phoenix. There's just nothing that compares to when the group becomes young adults with attitude and fights back. I saw Harry Potter 7 Part 2 twice in one day when it first came out. The scene where McGonagall takes on Snape still gives me goosebumps to this day. But I do wish that they didn't leave out a few good parts from the book, like when McGonagall tells Slughorn that it's time for Slytherin to decide its loyalties. Ron's is my favorite wand. I bought it at Universal, and to me it's just the most fun one to flick and swish around. Goblet of Fire is my least favorite movie. They should have split it into two, and Harry needs a haircut stat. Yes! Other goosebump-inducing movie scenes include, I'm sorry, Professor, I must not tell lies, McGonagall vs. Snape, Molly killing Bellatrix, the Resurrection Stone scene in the forest, and the Department of Mysteries. You guys do great work. Keep it up. Aww. I know. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Eric. For some reason, we are severely lacking in Ravenclaws, so we're really happy to have you as a keeper. Yeah. 
And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your sorting hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, the wood, core, and length, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else that you might want to share with us. And that'll bring us to this week's trivia question, which is, what will 15 sickles get you on the night bus? The prize for the first one who responds with a correct answer, and the code word hashtag one night stan, <laughs> will get a bitch is a witch, motherfucker's a wizard, a just keep rolling, that's not how it happened in the book, that's not how it happened in the movie, or a pride sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us. If you are an Apple person, you can do it through the Apple Podcasts or iTunes app. If you don't have Apple, you can write a recommendation on our Facebook page. Then email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. If you would like to support us as a patron for extra perks, you can go to patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And as we mentioned earlier, one of the perks for the mid-tier to higher-tier patron levels is to do a monthly virtual hangout with us. And we all get to know each other a little bit better, and you can share some of your thoughts and ideas with us that could possibly make it into future podcasts. Fun times. And don't forget that you can also go to our website at justkeeprolling.com to check out our Just Keep Rolling and Harry Potter-related merchandise for sale, including our equality line that features Dumbledore's quote, differences of habit and language are nothing at all if our aims are identical and our hearts are open. The proceeds from this line will be donated to the Trevor Project and the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund. Or you can just check out the links on our Facebook page to donate directly to the causes if you like. And join us next week when we talk about Chapter 3, The Night Bus, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just keep rolling. rolling.